The following audio is from Redeemer Anglican Church in Richmond, Virginia. More information about Redeemer is available online at RedeemerRVA.org. A reading from Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You've given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So I will ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day to day. The word of the Lord. Friends, please stand for the reading of the gospel. The gospel reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 23, uh, verses 37 to 39. That's on page 829 of your pew Bibles. And just as a reminder, if you don't own a Bible, uh, you're welcome to take one of these black uh, pew Bibles home with you as a gift from us. This is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you. You may be seated. Uh, Good morning, church. I hope you all are doing well. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Dan. I'm very grateful to serve as a pastor here. And uh, just by way of orientation, I want to let you know, if you haven't been around here for any length of time, that during the summers, uh, it's kind of our tradition that I take a step back from preaching uh, regularly in order to spend focused uh, time Uh, in prayer for the life of our church, in strategic planning for the future of our church, um, and also a chance for me, along with you, to sit under somebody else's teaching. And so it's important for us as a body to sit um, under a a plurality of voices from the pulpit. It's also just really good for my heart to hear someone else preach the good news of the gospel from the Bible to me, because I need to hear that just as much as anybody else. So to that end, during the summer, we have pastors, uh, preachers, Ministers, both from inside the congregation and from outside, come and, and, and speak to us. Uh, Lewis Lovett, um, our third church planter in residence, is here to preach to us this morning. Lewis, come on up. Some of you will know Lewis. Uh, he's actually been coming and visiting and, and guest preaching here for all five years uh, that Redeemer has been around. And then finally, after five years of that, we decided enough is enough. You might as well just come on staff. Um, 
So Lewis has joined the team uh, two months ago, beginning of June, as our third church planter in residence. And just to catch everybody up, because I know kind of we're a new church and everybody's still getting to know each other, back in 2019, we sent out the Reverend Stephen Breedlove to go plant Church of the Incarnation in the West End. At the end of this year, maybe beginning of next year, we're still not sure, when it gets cold, uh, the Reverend Danny Hyman is going to take a team to go plant All Souls Anglican Church south of the river in the Manchester area. And then Lewis and his family are going to plant a new church in the Midlothian area probably sometime in the next two to three years. We're not quite sure on timeline just yet. But for today, Lewis... Thank you for coming and preaching to us. Um, Lewis is a special friend uh, for me and also for our family. He and I used to serve side by side in ministry together in a different church, in a different city, in a different denomination, in a different era of life. (laughs) But it's good to be back on the team together. Um, He's also godfather uh, to to my kids, and he's a good friend and a good brother. Let me say a prayer for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for my friend and my brother and my co-laborer, Lewis. Lord, I pray that you would now speak through him to us this morning. Would you open our ears and our hearts and our minds to receive your word to us through your servant, Lewis. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. It, it is wonderful to be here. Uh, my, my family and I have been, like Dan said, here just a couple of months and have been so welcomed uh, by you. So, so thank you. If, if I haven't got to meet you yet, I would love to, uh, especially if you live in the Midlothian area, uh, we would love to connect at, at, at some point. I'm excited about what God is doing uh, in that part of, of Richmond. And, and like Dan said, I've, I have gotten to preach here uh, four or five times over the years. And it, it is so, uh, it's pretty freeing to preach as a guest somewhere because if you mess it up or they hate you, like you'll never see them ever again. So joke's on me today. Um, but I'm, I am excited to be here. And we're continuing our, our series uh, from this summer that's going through the Psalms. Uh, a, a few weeks ago, a, a friend named Claude, who's uh, uh, going to be uh, planting a church as a priest uh, in Charlottesville, told us that the Psalms help us to keep it real and true with God. You may remember that. And that just that stuck with me. The Psalms help us to keep it real and true with God. And we've, we've, as we've looked at the Psalms, we've seen that they speak from all different kinds of life circumstances, all different emotional states. And the place that Psalm 61 speaks from is from being faint of heart. Faint of heart. So uh, I'm going to pray and then we'll jump into Psalm 61. Please pray with me. Well, Father in heaven, uh, we do thank you for this time and we do thank you for your word that speaks to us and gives us words to speak back to you. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, be at work in it right now, in us, so we might know you and love you more and love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a a documentary that some of you may have seen that uh, talks about the history of the captivity of orca whales or killer whales. Uh, This is something that I did a deep dive into during COVID. And um, in this documentary, there's a number of, of alarming things that they show. And, and so I'm going to tell you a story. I'll tell you that uh, everybody is okay from this story, okay? Um, but there's a, a, an occasion where there's a, a trainer, and he's uh, in the water with the whales at SeaWorld. And they do, you know, they kind of lead him through this progression of tricks and stunts and demonstrations of these magnificent and powerful animals. Uh, but at some point, for some reason, the, the whale goes off script, and it stops doing what it's supposed to do. And the whale takes the foot of the trainer in his mouth and it pulls him to the bottom of the pool. And this is a pretty big pool. This isn't like your neighborhood swimming pool. This is a, a pool that's about 35 feet deep. And he pulls him down and he holds him there for about a minute. 
And then he brings them back up. And he gets a chance to take a few deep breaths and then the whale pulls him back down again. And then he brings them back up and it, it does this uh, repeatedly. Uh, and there's, there's footage of this, and if you want to really freak yourself out, you can, you can YouTube this and find the footage of this, okay? But you, you, you see this guy, the, his foot is in the mouth of the whale, and he's on the surface, and he's just looking exhausted and terrified. This is a situation for him that is just, it's just too big, it's just too much. He has no control, and he's in trouble. Now, as, as I've gotten to know people here, I, I know that uh, it's only a few of you have actually been in scary situations with orca whales in 35-foot deep pools. So I know some of you won't relate to this, but we, um, we all know that feeling, right, of uh, life being too big and too much for us. We know that feeling of exhaustion and desperation, and, and that's what David means when he says faint of heart. Exhaustion and desperation. This isn't like a Disney princess version of faint harder where like your knees are weak because your one true love walks by. This is when you're completely overwhelmed and at the end of your rope. If you're a, if you're a stay-at-home parent, you know what it's like to feel faint at heart like by 7.45 in the morning, right? If you have a, a coworker or a boss that makes your life miserable, you know what it means to be faint of heart. Uh, if you have someone in your family that always brings out the worst in you every time you're around them. You know what it means to be faint of heart. If you struggle with addiction or debt that you can't get a hold of, you know what this feeling is like. And I think as you look at our, our world today and you consider things like uh, political disunity and inflation and COVID, like you could say that the whole, the whole world is feeling faint of heart, right? And the good news for you and for me is that Psalm 61 is actually an invitation for us to connect with God when we're feeling faint of heart. And so what I want to do today is I want to consider what it might be to actually seek and experience the presence of God when we're faint of heart. And so I'm going to just look at three words from Psalm 61 that kind of guide us in a rhythm for what that's like. Okay, the three words are cry, dwell, and praise. Cry, dwell, and praise. So first... Psalm 61 teaches us to, to cry. Uh, if, if, you've, if you've been here at all this summer, it, we're kind of hammering this home week after week, but Psalm 61 gives you permission and even instructs you to cry out to God with the voice and the spirit that actually reflects your real life. I, I, I grew up thinking that um, maturity was displayed by a lack of emotional expression. So, so I thought that the most spiritually mature person in the room would be the person who was the most stable, the most reserved, like they were unflappable, they were immovable. My, my reading of the gospel of Jesus confounds this, this expectation because I actually don't think uh, that that's what, that's what the Bible calls us to at all. Now, instead, it calls us to cry out to cry out. Now, everyone, everyone cries out, right? Like if you are at the end of the rope, if you are feeling desperate, if you are feeling exhausted, eventually you'll cry, you'll, you'll complain, you'll vent, you'll gossip, you'll accuse, you'll blame, right? We all do that. But Christian crying is, is different. Christian crying is distinctly an act of faith because it's crying out with the whole truth to the one person who can really handle the truth. Uh, when you read through the Psalms, sometimes it seems like the Psalms are telling you that you can be mad at people and you can even hate people, right? That, that's not what the Psalms are doing. The Psalms are actually telling you that when you have those things in your heart, there is a safe place to go. 
There is a direction for that that is right and that is safe, and it is the Father. So the question is, do you trust God enough to really cry out to him? Do you trust him enough? This, is, this has never happened to me, uh, you know, of course, personally, but I've seen this before where someone goes through something really stressful and they're holding it together and they walk out and they get in their car and they shut the door and then they start to lose it and they scream and they wave their hands and they hit on the horn and they yell, right? None of you have done this. We've seen it on TV. That's what David's talking about when he says cry out. So we have to ask ourselves, like, what would we have to believe is true about God for him to invite us to interact with him like that? We would actually have to believe that God can handle it. We'd actually have to believe that our emotional experience matters to him. We'd actually have to believe that instead of judging us, his heart is moved in compassion towards us when we are losing it, when we are at the end of our rope, when we're desperate and exhausted. If, if we learned to pray like that, if we believed that God was like that, we wouldn't open our Bibles and say, hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer from the end of the earth. I call to you. We would say, hear my cry, O God. Listen to the cry of my heart. My heart is faint. I have a hard time believing that I'm allowed to talk to God like that. But I think that's what David is doing. And I think it's what he invites us and instructs us to do. When, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the, the night he was betrayed by his best friends and arrested by the ones who came to save him, this is what he told his disciples. He said, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Watch with me. And then he falls to the ground. Luke said that he was in agony so that the, the sweat was dropping from him like drops of blood. Is Jesus keeping it all together? Is he reserved? Is he stable? He was faint of heart. And he falls down and he cries out to God. And I just have a hard time believing that he says, Lord, if it is your will, let this cup pass for me. I'm fine though. He trusts his father. This, this is proof to you that you are allowed to lose it on God. Because even Jesus did. And, and I want you to hear that this kind of crying out to God and the invitation that he gives you to, to actually be real with him is a gift. It means that God actually validates your emotional experience. God doesn't even just care about what you believe and what you do and what you say. He even cares about how you feel. Isn't that amazing? So cry out to God. Tell him how you feel and tell him with feeling because he cares for you and he hears your cries, okay? We cry out to God. The, the next word we'll look at is dwell. When we are desperate and exhausted, we, we dwell. There's, there's four pictures here that are all centered around this word dwell. And when we talk about dwelling with God, we're talking about the, the mystery of actual intimacy with God that's the source of your life that transcends your circumstances but which you can't see. That's, that's what dwelling means. Here, here's the four pictures. First, David says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. It's the image of, of escaping above raging waters to a safe, dry place. Or being pursued by an enemy and, and going into some strong castle and the gates shut behind you and finally you can rest. 
That's what it's like to dwell with God. Then, then David says, let me dwell in your tent forever. Some of the Psalms, uh, if, as you read the Bible, they tell you kind of what David is going through or what the psalmist is going through when they write it. And Psalm 61 doesn't have that. But some scholars think that this is happening during the, the time of Absalom's rebellion, which you can read about in, in 2 Samuel. This is a time when one of David's children uh, takes over, decides that they want to be king and they take over the throne. And David is forced to flee from Jerusalem. And so he's got a child who is uh, out to get him. He's losing everything. And here's what David says in 2 Samuel 15 as on his way out of town. He says, if I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both the ark and his dwelling place. As David is, is leaving in fear and desperation, he is not longing for his warm, safe bed. He is longing for the dwelling place of the Lord. He's longing to be in the presence of God in this thing that our psalm and the story of the Bible refers to as the tent. Uh, the tent is the physical location on earth of the spirit and presence of God. We're gonna come back to that in, in just a minute. The, the, next, uh, the next picture we get is the one of wings. Let me take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Uh, this is a picture used throughout the Bible. If you were here last week, Alex mentioned this because it's in Psalm 63. We're, we're going backwards. I'm one of those people who got sick and had to cancel last minute. So that's my fault. Sorry about that. Uh, we see this in Isaiah. We see it in Matthew 23. We read this in our, in our gospel reading this morning. Uh, this picture of a mother hen gathering her brood under the shelter of her wings. So again, there's a, a, a sense of, of protection, but this picture is uh, much more intimate, much more relational, uh, much more affectionate. It's, it's motherly. Uh, we heard in the sermon last week a story about uh, Alex getting in a fight with his, with his older brother and running to his mom, and his mom, who knows that he probably did something wrong too, just opens up her arms and takes him in, in love and protection. That's what God is like, like a mother hen who gathers her young under her wings. And then the, the next couple verses are the weird part of the psalm. They're the part that doesn't seem to fit, where, where David, who is the rightful king, by the way, uh, all of a sudden starts praying for the king, whoever that might be, right? It's him. He says, prolong the life of the king. May he be enthroned forever before God. But notice again, what is he praying for? To be enthroned where? On his own throne? No, before God. He's actually praying to be restored to the presence of, of God. And when you, when you think about the, the story of the people of God and, and their kings, what you see is that as it goes for the king, so it goes for the people. And so when you get to the parts of the Bible, especially that talk about how like, you know, each chapter is a new generation, it tends to do it in terms of who is the king or the ruler. And so when you have a king who is following closely with God, you've got people who are following closely with God. And when you have a king who has forgotten about God and is disregarding his ways and his word, you have a people who have done the same. So David knows, of course, I want to be before the presence of God, and I need that for my people, right? So you've got the rock and the tent and the wings and the throne, and these are David's uh, way of describing his hope and his longing for the presence of God in his life in a time when he's faint-hearted, when he is desperate and exhausted. And if David can pray this with hope, how much more can, can you and I hope? Those of us in whom the Spirit of God actually has come to dwell. The, the story of the Bible 
uh, can be seen through the, through the trajectory of the presence of God with his people. And we could spend a long time talking about this, but you see this in the, in the very beginning of the Bible. You've got uh, the first man and the first woman, and God is with them. He's walking with them in the garden. He's speaking with them. You see this when, when Israel, the people of God, is at their lowest point, when they're enslaved in Egypt. God comes to them, and he rescues them. And the first thing he does after he gets them to safety is he has them build this tent. And at the end of Exodus, his spirit goes and dwells inside the tent. So that for, for, the, for the story of the people, one of the things going on is that even when they're wandering, even when they're lost, the spirit of God is in the midst of them. And after the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this presence of God with his people is made manifest in a new way, where it's no longer in one particular geographical location like the tent or the tabernacle or the temple in Jerusalem. Now it's here. Now it's here. So Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 3, do you not know that you, people of God, are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So the rescue and the safety and the protection and the affection and the care, the the real life presence of God is now available to all of us. And you don't have to go far, it's, it's here. And the invitation on us is to dwell. To, to, to dwell means to be present to the place of God's presence in us. That's what it means to dwell. To be present to the place of God's presence, not at, not at some tent, but here. If you are a Christian, you, you know this is easier said than done, right? Uh, in fact, most of us spend a lot of time feeling like God is not very near. We, we wish he felt more near, but he, he often doesn't. So how do we grow in being present to his presence in us, right? Mark, Martin Laird is an author, and he says that if you're a Christian, then the, the truest, most central thing about you is that Jesus is with you. That, that means that the presence of God is not a thing that you have to go find. It is not a thing you have to cultivate. It is not a thing you have to achieve. It is a thing you have to pay attention to because it is already the core and central reality of your existence and being. Jesus is with you. It's true whether you're feeling it or not. It's true whether you're aware of it or not. It just is who you are. It is more real in you than anything else could be. And so most of the Christian devotional practice and worship is is designed not to help you find God somewhere out there. It's designed to help you pay attention to and see the God who is already with you, who has already come near to you. And, And this is a thing that anyone can grow in, but it's really difficult. And and it's difficult because when you are feeling faint-hearted, when you are feeling exhausted and desperate, when things are too much and too big for you, the last thing we want to do is to stop and reflect and remember what's true because that requires that we actually deal with our pain and we don't like doing that. So what we tend to do is we tend to pull out that glowing rectangle of distraction from our pocket and read about sports that we don't even care about. We tend to find some kind of comfort anywhere. On the internet, with food, with drink. Uh, We we tend to to try to control the little things in our life in in order to compensate for those big things in our life that we have no control over. 
We tend to pour ourselves into our work. We, we do whatever it takes so that we don't have to feel how we feel. Jesus is saying, I, I actually am gonna invite you to dwell, to pay attention to what's going on in here. It's gonna require that you lean into your pain and be present to it. But guess why that's good? You know who else is being present to you in your pain? The Lord Jesus, who loves you. That's where he's found. And, and if, if I give you like one application point for this text, it's that Psalm 61 invites you when you are faint-hearted to do the, the opposite thing that you are inclined to do. To actually stop and get slow and be still and be quiet. Seems like it should be easy. It's almost impossible. So, so here's a way you could practice, okay? You could... Uh, try to not be in denial and admit that you're desperate about something in your life. And then you could open Psalm 61. And you could read this. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. And, and I want you to just, I want you to read that and I want you to try to imagine, like, what is, of those pictures, what is the thing that's standing out to you? As I've read through this in, in the past few weeks, the thing that's been standing out to me is taking refuge in the shelter of your wings. That's what I've been thinking about. And I have tried to stop and imagine that Jesus, my Savior, has his arms wrapped around me in protection and love. Uh, Christians have to learn how to imagine things. And when I say imagination, usually when you, when you think of imagination, you think like imaginary friend, like imagining something that isn't real. Christian imagination is imagining the things that are real. So when I'm imagining Jesus' arms around me, I'm imagining something that's true. His arms are around me, and his arms are around you right now. So you get to stop and you get to imagine these things that are true, that are the only source of rest and relief in your desperation and your exhaustion. That's why we fight to be present to his presence with us. Even when our, our minds scream at us to zone out and work harder and do anything but pay attention. So we cry, we dwell. Lastly this morning, the final word from Psalm 61 is, is praise. David says, so I will ever praise your name as I perform my vows day after day. He, he's expressing this commitment to to keep praising God. This is what he's saying as he's, uh, again, probably leaving town away from the presence of God in desperation. I'm gonna keep praising God. I'm gonna keep my eyes on you, even though I don't feel like it. And, and if you've had these days of exhaustion and desperation, you know that by the end of that day, you don't really feel like go into a worship session, right? That's not what we feel like doing. But, but praising God and thanking God when our hearts are faint will actually do something to us. It will actually form us and change us. It will form us to, to believe that, that, since that God, uh, the, the feeling of God being far away is a sensation and not a reality. It, it will form us and change us so that we are reminded to look back and remember all the ways that God has provided for us and cared for us and protected us. It will open our eyes to the realities of all the ways that he's at work in our lives and in the world around us. One of the things that happens when, when you get desperate is exhausted is that your vision gets really narrow. 
so that all you're thinking about is the one thing that's happening and only about how it's affecting you. When we look up, we start to see, actually, there's a lot that God is doing. It starts to change us. I'm looking at you guys right now. You're you're here at church on a Sunday morning, uh, and and I can't help but wondering, like, why are you here? Uh, I I know, uh, those of you I've talked to, I know this is true. If I haven't talked to you, I, I still know it's true, that there are things in your life that are making you feel desperate and exhausted. You're faint hearted. Why did you come to this space for this hour? And I imagine, you know, some of you come because uh, you, you love this church and you love these people. Some of you come because you're longing to experience community or you're longing to experience what it's like to sing together and how powerful it is. You're longing to hear God's word or to pray or to come to this table. Some of you are here because someone dragged you here. Some of you are here because that's just what you do on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock, right? I, Whatever the reason you're here is, I want to tell you that I think that like, just showing up is kind of what David is talking about right here. We, we tend to think that we have to come all put together. Remember, we've talked about being invited to cry out to him. And sometimes we're just showing up. Sometimes we're here, we're going to mouth the words to prayers and not even like, let them go through our brain. We're going to look up and read words on here for songs and be thinking about lunch We're going to write the same check that we always write. We're going to sit and act polite during a sermon from a new guy. David says, I'm going to keep praising you. I'm going to keep showing up and mouth the words, even when I might not feel like it, even when I'm tired. Because it is showing me, it is helping me, it is reminding me of what is real and true that God is with me. He is with us. So keep showing up. Don't be mad at yourself if right now you're realizing you haven't been listening to a word I've been saying. It's okay that you showed up because God is here and he's with you. You've got this trainer. He's at the bottom of the pool with the orca, okay? And he comes up to the top of the water and um, if, again, if you really wanna be freaked out, you can, you can look at this, but he's just, he's so exhausted, it kind of feels like the end might be near. And uh, some other trainers uh, end up pulling, they pull a net across the pool right next to where he's at and then at the other end, um, they start making noise and throwing fish into the water to distract the whale. And the whale eventually uh, turns away towards the fish and this guy, delirious, starts swimming like crazy across the net and onto the platform, and then he's, he's grabbed by these other trainers, and he's kind of pulled into safety on the other side of the barrier. He's, he's made it. But the whale notices what's happening, and it starts to, <laughs> starts to follow him again, and he only barely makes it out before he collapses in safety. Uh, as I think about the thing that we're gonna do here in just a few moments, which is to be invited to, to this table, to this place where uh, the reality of God's presence with us is, is stirred and celebrated, some weeks I feel like I'm barely making it. Like I just barely make it and then I collapse there. And I, I wanna tell you that Jesus sees you in your faint-heartedness and he sees you in your exhaustion and your frustration and your pain and your desperation. And he says, just come. I wanna give you rest. I wanna give you life. I wanna give you myself. I'm with you. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love us and sustain us. Thank you that you invite us to dwell with you. And I pray that you would give us the courage and the faith to speak 
to you as if you were real and our lives matter because they do matter to you. And I pray that you would give us uh, the faith and the courage to be still in the midst of our pain. And Lord, I do pray that you would make yourself known to us more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.